miserably. God, I need your help. I need your Holy Spirit to be here in this place. And I pray that uh, you will be here in a powerful way right now, God. And just deliver the message that you want to be heard today. A message about how you encounter our lives and how we're never the same. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. A small boy was writing a letter to God about the Christmas presents that he so badly wanted. He started his letter, I've been good for six months now. But after a moment's reflection, he crossed that out and wrote three months. Well, after a pause, that was crossed out and he put two weeks. There was another pause and that was crossed out too. He got up from the table and went over to the nativity scene that had the figures of Mary and Joseph. He picked up the figure of Mary, wrapped it gently in a cloth, and put it in a drawer in his room. He then went back to his writing and started again. Dear God, if you ever want to see your mother again... (laughs) Well, it is December, and of course we're all beginning to think about Christmas. And today we're going to start our Christmas series by looking at two encounters that two people had that forever changed not only their lives, but our entire world. So we're going to start by reading in Luke 1, 26 to 38. We're going to take a look at two different passages, one in Luke and one in Matthew. So we're going to start there in Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. And we're also going to take a look at a passage in Matthew 1, starting in verse 18. We just saw a divine encounter that Mary had, and now we're going to look at a similar divine encounter that Joseph had, starting in 118. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. There's a few things that we learn from these texts that are really important, not only to the Christian story, but to our, our whole Christian faith. So let's, let's take a look at those things here. The first one is Jesus had ordinary parents, but with a stellar lineage. One thing we need to understand about this time period is this idea of the messianic expectation. There were many Old Testament prophecies that spoke of the coming Messiah, a future king who would come from David's line and deliver the people of Israel and set up an earthly kingdom. The Jewish people who are now under the oppressive Roman Empire were eagerly looking forward to the day when the Messiah would come and set up his kingdom and in their minds overthrow the Roman Empire and establish his, his rule there in Jerusalem. In fact, um, this was something that, that was becoming, I think, more and more prevalent in their time. There was different things that were happening that, that were leading to this point in their history where they just had this, this expectation that the Messiah could come soon. Now, at the same time, there was also some less popular Old Testament references that referred to the Messiah as one who would undergo rejection and suffering, and, but this, this Messiah would deliver people from their sins. So there was kind of these two portraits of the Messiah going on, one of this conquering, reigning king, and one of this suffering servant who, who would die for their sins. And I think the average person probably didn't really know how to put those two together. Were these two different people? Was, were, how, how was this all going to happen? So it wasn't totally clear in their minds, but what they chose to focus on was the conquering king because that's what they were looking forward to. They, need, they wanted that deliverance from the Roman Empire. So we have this backdrop of this messianic expectation and then we see Joseph and Mary here in this story. And we see, first of all, that they were from Nazareth. Now, Nazareth was, was a small town, probably of no more than 2,000 people. You see it on the screen. It, it was up in the, uh, the area of um, the kingdom at that time called Galilee. And it wasn't very close to Jerusalem. It was probably about a three-day's journey to get to Jerusalem. So... In a sense, it was kind of out in, the, out in the middle of nowhere. It was not very well thought of. We know that because in John 1.46, uh, Philip, who had just encountered Jesus, comes to Nathanael and he says, come see Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathanael says, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? And, and Philip says, well, come see. So, so we know that Nazareth was not very highly thought of, and this was the town that, that Joseph and Mary were from. It might be the equivalent today of like some little town out in the mid, Midwest in the middle of nowhere that, you know, maybe a lot of people don't even know about or just, you know, doesn't have any kind of reputation of anything good coming from there. That, that was what Joseph and Mary were from. And so we see that they were, they were just ordinary people. And we know that from other references in, in the New Testament too. We know that for one, uh, Joseph was a carpenter or maybe a stonemason since they probably didn't have tons of wood there. It was probably more like brick lane that he did. Um, 
So that was not exactly, you know, that was a fine profession, but it wasn't exactly, you know, an exalted one. Um, he was, they, they, for all practical purposes, were just normal people living everyday normal lives. And that, that was the, the home that God chose Jesus to be born into. On the other hand, we do see that Jesus had this stellar lineage, both both Joseph and Mary could trace their lines all the way back to David, who, of course, was, you know, the, the king in the Old Testament who basically established Israel as, you know, as, a, as a, some, a force to be reckoned with. So we see that they, they do have this, this claim, you know, from, from David's line. Now, of course, now they were under the Roman Empire. There was no king. So David's lineage really didn't have any kind of authority or office at this point, but still it was a respected, honorable lineage that Jesus was born into. The next thing we want to see is that Mary and Joseph both had an angelic encounter. So in Mary's case, the angel Gabriel, we see, appears to her in person. And the angel greets her in a way that would have been totally unexpected for someone of her social status. And in fact, for just a man to appear and to to greet her in this way and say, you're highly favored and, you know, these things that would have been just like kind of a shock to her. And we see, we see you know, in, in the verse there that it actually says she was greatly troubled at his words. And, the, and that word can mean like agitated or, you know, almost upset or like, what's going on? This doesn't make any sense to me. And she was wondering, you know, what this greeting was all about. And so, but the angel tells her not to be afraid. And it seems like fear was a common thing that happened when people had an angelic encounter. So, I mean, the appearance of, of an angel must, and their presence must just be awesome. It must be something, you know, that's just like, we can't even comprehend totally what it would be like. And, and it was a fearful thing often for, for the people that encountered them. And Obviously, Mary had some fear going on. She was like, this person appears out of nowhere, you know, giving her this kind of greeting, saying these things, and she's like, what is going on here? But the angel tells her, don't, don't be afraid. And then he goes on to tell her this incredible news, right? That she has found favor with God, that she would conceive and give birth to a son who would actually be the promised Messiah. This just had to be Absolutely mind-blowing for Mary, right? You know, here, her, this ordinary person in this town of Nazareth, she's going to be the mother of the Messiah. I mean, this must have just been incredible for her. So that was, that was Mary's angelic encounter. And then we see in Joseph, Joseph's case, and this happened much later, probably several months later, um, the text says that the angel appeared to him in a dream. So not not in the flesh like it was with Mary, but in a dream. And the angel appears to Joseph to tell him about this divine conception that had already occurred in Mary at this point, and to not be afraid to take Mary home as, as his wife. And now let's think about that for a minute. Why would Joseph be afraid to take Mary home as his wife? Well, we've got to understand the culture then was so very different than now. Even now, we know that sometimes having, having a, uh, you know, a baby out of wedlock can be a thing that can be sometimes considered maybe shameful or, or considered you know, not the best way to go about it or whatever, but it's not even close to holding a candle to what it was like then. So 
for Joseph, if word got out about Mary's pregnancy, um, then it could have some really strong implications for him. Now, obviously, word had gotten out to some degree. He knew about it, but it probably wasn't common knowledge at this point. Perhaps the family had felt that their it was their obligation to let him know. Perhaps Mary had let him know. We don't know. But, but he, had, he had come to this knowledge that she was pregnant. And so now he was faced with this situation where if he was to marry Mary, Mary, <laughs> then he would either be seen as the one guilty of causing Mary to become pregnant or as marrying an adulterer. Either one of these things had like huge implications for him. If he was seen as the one guilty of causing Mary to get pregnant, his reputation would be forever tarnished and ruined in that society. And it was what's called an honor-based society. So basically everything in your life was about how people saw you in society. It was about the honor that you had and you established honor by, by being righteous, by doing the things that were expected of you, by, by doing honorable things. And so to do something like get a woman pregnant would be seen as highly dishonorable, one of the most dishonorable things you could do. And so this would have huge implications for his life. So you can see how there would be some fear there in that case. Now, if he was to take Mary as his wife, though, then and Mary was seen as an adulteress who got pregnant by another man, that also had societal implications because both Jewish and Roman law demanded that a man divorce his wife if she was guilty of adultery. And Roman law actually treated a husband who failed to divorce his unfaithful wife as a pimp, exploiting his wife as a prostitute. So again, this had just like huge social implications either way for Joseph if he was to, to marry to go ahead and to marry Mary, to continue this, this relationship with her. So, of course, in, in the angel saying, don't be afraid to take her as your wife, you know, that had, some, that had some loaded implications for Joseph. These two angelic encounters that Mary and Joseph had, we need to see are essentially God encounters, right? Because angels were messengers from God. In fact, that word angel can mean messenger. And, and these angels were sent as, as messengers to both Joseph and Mary to tell them God's plan and what was going to be happening. The next thing we see is that Mary and Joseph were both commanded to call the baby Jesus. Did you notice that in both passages, they were told to give the baby the name Jesus? The name Jesus came from the Aramaic Yeshua, or our English transliteration would be Joshua. And it meant God is salvation or the Lord saves. Although that was not an uncommon name at that time, it had special significance in this case because it was a name given to the child by God. So God had determined that he was to be called Jesus or Yeshua. His name foreshadowed not only that he would save people from their sin, but also that he would save his people from the consequences of their sins, that the Messiah would deliver his people from being subject to their enemies and would one day set up an earthly kingdom. So the, his name was, was of great importance and had, had great um, meaning to the people of that time and, and still does to us today. Uh, the next thing we see is that Joseph and Mary were betrothed but not yet married. Now, this is a little bit confusing to us, maybe, because you're like, okay, wait a minute. They weren't married, but Jesus is talking about divorcing Mary. How does that work? What's going on there? 
Well, we need to understand that the Jewish betrothal process at that time was very, very different than our modern engagement process. First of all, the, mar the marriages were, of course, arranged. Um, the children probably had little or no say in the matter. They sometimes would be arranged by their parents years in advance. Girls would often get married as young as 12 to 14 years old, though they could marry older. And men typically married at 18 to 20 years of age, so they had time to work and save some money. Now remember, this sounds kind of probably weird to us, but remember that typical life expectancies were about half of what they are now. So if you're only living till 40 and not getting married till, you know, 25 or 30, like it's common now, that would not give you much time, would it? So um, it was, of course, common for them to get married at a much younger age. And the betrothal process involved the whole village and included a signing contract uh, signing a contract witnessed by the community. So the whole community would get together, it was kind of a celebration, a contract would be signed, and that was basically the beginning of the betrothal. Now, from that time, it was usually about a year until the actual marriage ceremony would be happened, would, would happen. But the betrothal was considered binding. It was it was basically like being married, even though they weren't living together. So that's why Joseph, if he was going to end that relationship, would actually have to go through the legal proceedings of a divorce. It wasn't just a matter of, oh, we're not married yet, so we're done. Um, it, it would have required a divorce. So um, at the actual marriage, a year later, then there was, would again be a community celebration that culminated in the groom taking the bride into his home and then consummating the marriage in the prearranged nuptial chamber. So this was all just a, a very, you know, well-defined process that would happen. And again, like we said, betrothal was legally binding even though the man and woman were not yet living together. So to terminate the relationship would require getting a legal divorce. That was the situation in which Joseph and Mary found themselves, and that's why Joseph was planning on getting a divorce, even though they were not yet living together. Mary had been found to be pregnant, even though it wasn't necessarily common knowledge, Joseph had become aware of it, and Jewish law and etiquette would require him to divorce Mary since he thought she had committed adultery. Now, at this point in history, women were rarely stoned for adultery, as the Old Testament law had required, but it would have been socially unacceptable for Joseph to have continued the marriage process um, once discovering that adultery had been committed. So again, becoming pregnant outside of marriage was considered very scandalous, much more than it is in our society. Uh, the woman would be considered an adulterer and would always live with that shame over her. She would probably never have the opportunity to be married again. And as a result, she would be dependent on her own family for economic support if her family would have her. So it was a very bad situation to be in. Um, the text indicates that Joseph, being a righteous man, not meaning that he was perfect or blameless, but meaning that he did his best to live a righteous life, he had planned on divorcing Mary quietly rather than making it a public spectacle. So Joseph could have profited by divorcing Mary pu publicly, by taking her to court. He could have impounded the entire dowry. Um, that's the bride price that was paid by the family, uh, the woman's family. And he perhaps could have also been refunded uh, the bride price that his family had paid if they had done so, which was sometimes occurred. So 
by instead of making it a, a fed, you know, a, a legal case and, and making this a public thing, instead he could provide her with a certificate of divorce witnessed by two or three witnesses and do it in a more private manner. And this would mean he would not be eligible for any of that economic reimbursement we talked about. But this would, would kind of preserve some of Mary's dignity in a sense and not make her exposed to public humiliation, at least to the degree that she would have. So that was a, a good thing that actually that Joseph was doing there. Divorcing her wasn't like just kind of you know, something like in our society where sometimes we consider divorce as, you know, a very less than desirable thing. In this case, it was actually demanded by the culture, by Jewish law, and um, by everything that people would consider right at that time. So the, the next thing we see, which is very important, is that Mary was a virgin when she conceived Jesus. We often refer to this as the virgin birth. Um, by the virgin birth, we mean that Mary was con conceived Jesus by being overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. It was something miraculous that happened. It was not, did not occur by the normal relations that happened between a man and woman. As far as we know, this is the only time this has happened in human history. Um, so it was something that obviously would have probably been a little bit difficult for people to swallow as being reality, <laughs> right? Um, but these passages make it crystal clear that Joseph was not involved in the process. Rather, it was a miracle of God. This is really important because it affirms that Jesus is the God-man. I'm sure you've probably heard that phrase before of Jesus being the God-man, meaning that he was fully human and fully God. So God miraculously inserted the divine DNA into Mary that resulted in the birth of Jesus. By being conceived in this way, Jesus was not born with a sinful nature uh, like, like the rest of humanity. And being fully God, he was able to offer up his life as a sacrifice for our sins. Yet, he was also fully human. He could empathize with our troubles and he could stand in our place in taking the punishment of our sins. So the virgin birth was a very, or maybe we should call it the virgin conception, was a very significant thing and something that we we hold as a central truth to our Christian faith, and it's been in many of the, the uh, creeds that have been established from, from the early church days. The next thing we see is that Jesus' life would be a life of great significance. In Mary's encounter with Gabriel, Gabriel, he spoke of two significant things about Jesus. The first was his eternal divine position, um, that he was... He was called the Son of God and the Son of the Most High. These were divine titles that indicated his eternal position as a member of the Godhead. So this is like such a mind-blowing concept, right? Here, God, Jesus was God. He was from, from eternity. So at the same time, he was eternal and God. But yet, the other thing that Gabriel tells us is that he would be born into time and space as the Messiah, the promised king. So this is, a, again, kind of a mind-blowing concept that Jesus was fully God. He, he was eternal, and yet, and, and, and in that sense, outside of time and space, and yet God inserted him into time and space to empathize with us, to understand what it was like to be human, and to offer his life as a sacrifice for our sins. And also to be the Messiah who would assume that 
the throne of the Davidic line, establish a kingdom without end, and reign over the people of God forever. So we see in Gabriel's words both of these things being foreshadowed here. Um, we also see in Joseph's angelic encounter that the angel reveals another significant thing about Jesus, and that is he will save his people from their sins. This revealed the divine mission that Jesus was born to accomplish, to save mankind from their sins and to call people to repentance and to offer them a path to a relationship with God and eternal life. And Matthew also adds one other significant point about Jesus, that he would fulfill an ancient prophecy from Isaiah 7.14. That prophecy said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So Jesus, here, this was prophesied hundreds of years before this ever happened. And we, and we know, uh, you know, it might be easy for some people to say, well, yeah, that, that, the book of Isaiah was probably just written after this time. And so, you know, it, it wasn't really prophecy. But we, when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were actually, actually um, shown to have been written before the time of Christ, it confirmed the Old Testament was definitely written before the time of Christ and so that these prophecies were, were legitimate. And this particular prophecy prophesied that one, a virgin would conceive Jesus. So again, we see that attestation to the virgin birth. And it also said that he would be called Emmanuel, God with us. So again, we see this amazing concept that God came from heaven to be with us, to actually live among us, to understand humanity and, and to and to then be able to be eligible to give his life up for us. So some amazing things that we see about Jesus in these two passages. And finally, we see that both Mary and Joseph submitted themselves to God's plan. Mary's response at the end of this was, I am the Lord's servant. May your words to me be fulfilled, or may it be done to me what you have said. This response showed her total submission to God's plan for her, in spite of all the potential for massive social shame, jeopardizing her upcoming marriage to Joseph, it was no small thing for her to submit to God's plan. We need to understand that. Sometimes I think we just think of it and, oh, wow, what an exciting thing. She was going to be the mother of the Son of God. And, you know, wow, what a cool thing. But we got to understand all the other implications it had for her in, in her society. Would people believe this, you know? As far as we know, it never happened before, right? So how, how would people buy this? You know, would she be exposed to public shame? Would, would Joseph believe it? Would he, you know, leave her? I mean, she had to have all these things going through her mind. And yet she said, you know, may it be done to me what you have said, Lord. Um, I'm your servant. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do whatever you say. So she submitted herself totally to God's plan. And then we see also that Joseph responded in the same way. When he woke up from the the dream, it says, he got up and he took Mary to his home as his wife. So he completed the marriage process that we saw earlier, that betrothal process that ended in him taking the wife into his home. And um, he did that. And again, you know, kind of basically flying in the face of what would be accepted in that society and potentially posing him exposing himself to public shame and, and all kinds of other ramifications for him. So both of them submitted themselves to God's plan 
uh, regardless of the personal implications, regardless of the risks. And, and they did that willingly, and that's, we honor them for that still today, that they were willing to do that. So let's talk about now, just for a couple of minutes, why is this important? What does this mean to us? How can we apply this to our lives? So our big idea today is encountering God changes everything. Encountering God changes everything. First of all, responding to a God encounter changes your life's trajectory. Responding to a God encounter changes your life's trajectory. Before their God encounters, Mary and Joseph's lives seemed destined to be ordinary, right? They were just going to, you know, live like normal people do, do all the normal things and kind of live an ordinary life. But when they had these encounters with God, now... In submitting themselves to his plan, their lives would be forever changed as something extraordinary. Think about it. These ordinary people that were born 2,000 years ago are still remembered today, and they're honored above probably almost everyone from their time period. Why? Because they submitted themselves to God's plan in spite of the personal cost, and we see that God honored them and brought great honor to them and allowed their lives to be used to transform the world through having Jesus as their son. When we counter, encounter God by becoming followers of Christ, we change the trajectory of our lives, right? We're now on a new path. We're now on God's path in which we have the potential to make an impact on our world. Maybe not quite to the degree that Joseph and Mary did, but when we submit ourselves to God, and we say, God, I'm about you and your plan now. I'm about following your path. Now it enables God to unlock the key to our lives to use us to do great and extraordinary things. So that first thing, responding to a God encounter changes your life's trajectory, just like it did Mary and Joseph. The second thing is responding to a God encounter requires submission to his plan. Joseph and Mary had to submit themselves to God's plan and they had to obey God and what he was calling them to do in order to receive the amazing blessing that would come, right? They both did this willingly and that, that the fact that they did that shows that they trusted God's plans above their own plans. They had a plan for their life, what their life was going to look right, like, right? But God's plan was totally different and they would now be going through a series of things that they could have never imagined, right? So it's important for us to see that they, they put aside their own agendas and expectations to submit to God's plan, regardless, again, of the potential personal consequences. By doing this, they allowed themselves to be used in a powerful way that they could never have imagined. And this is true for us, too. As people who have encountered God, he's calling each of us to submit to his plan. He wants us to put aside our own plans and agendas in submission to his. If we will do this, he will use us in powerful ways that we could never imagine. But it requires us submitting to God and saying, God, I'm willing to lay aside my agenda and my plan for yours. I believe that your plan is better than mine. I believe that your ways are better than mine and I'm gonna submit myself to that. Uh, the last application that we see is that responding to a God encounter requires sacrifice. Responding to a God encounter requires sacrifice. For Joseph and Mary, following God's plan had some alarming implications, right? In Mary's case, 
She faced potentially destroying her chance to not only be married to Joseph, but to be married to anyone. She also faced what could likely be massive public shame. In addition, her whole livelihood could have been at stake if she was rejected by her family. She could be destitute and in poverty and trying to figure out how to survive. For Joseph, following God's plan also had alarming implications. He also faced massive public shame. And we can't really even understand how significant it was in that honor-based society, so different than our society. So submitting to God's plan would also mean putting aside his own desires and, and his needs to marry a pregnant woman and put aside sexual relations for an extended period of time. It meant accepting as a son, someone whom he had not fathered. But in submitting to God's plan, God brought incredible blessing to both Joseph and Mary. And they've come to be honored in a way they could never have imagined, right? Now, 2,000 years later, we still honor them above kings, rulers, religious leaders for their faithfulness to God, for their willingness to submit themselves to God's plan. When we encounter God and submit to his plan, it's going to often require sacrifice for us as well. It may mean putting aside our own agenda to follow God, as we talked about. It may mean some degree of social rejection. There may be a financial cost. There may be lifestyle adjustments that are required. But like Joseph and Mary, if we submit to God's plan, it opens the door for God to bless us and to use us to impact our world for him. He gives meaning and significance to our lives and fills us with peace and purpose when we are willing to do that. I want to close with a story, a real-life story from a uh, man who lived in Sudan. He was a, a, a Muslim, and he, here's his story. He says, one day a colleague sent me to the prison to visit a person who had turned his back on our religion and become a follower of Jesus Christ. They chose me because I am a lawyer and I should be able to convince him to come back to his roots in traditional religion. I went to meet with him and told him, come back and we will forgive you. Otherwise, you will face execution. He asked me, have you read the Bible? No, I answered, but I know some stories from the Bible. Then take this Bible and read it. Then come back to me, he replied. I took the Bible and out of curiosity, I started reading it. It was unusual and interesting. And the more I read the stories, the more I loved it. I spent 18 days just reading. Then I came to John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This verse struck me because in our holy book, we have similar words about Jesus, that he is the Word of God. During this time, I was thinking deeply about Jesus, but I was still praying to Allah in my way. One day, I was lying in bed, and I saw a number of people come to me and ask me to pray. I said, I am praying. They said, no, get up and pray. Then they disappeared. My eyes and my heart started to open. I went back to the prison and met with the prisoner many times. He explained some issues about Jesus Christ to me. On May 10th, 1998, I went to the prison again, and I asked the priest who was leading the Christian prisoners in worship to let me attend the meeting. He was surprised. In the middle of the worship service, I stood up and asked the priest to give me a chance to speak. I said, Today, I give my life to Jesus Christ and become one of his followers. This was the most wonderful moment in my life. My soul was set free inside a prison in Sudan. After this, everyone knew and the police arrested me. My family burned everything that belonged to me. I spent many months in jail and was tortured. 
At last, I fled with my wife and two children outside Sudan to worship my Lord and King Jesus Christ freely. This is a real life example of someone in our world today who did what we talked about in our, in our message today. He had a God encounter, even a series of God encounters that caused him to change the trajectory of his life. And not only did it cause his trajectory of his life to be changed, but it caused him to make a decision to submit himself to God's plan instead of his own. And that required great personal sacrifice. He, had, he went to jail, he was even tortured, and he ended up having to flee from his country. But you can just tell in the letter, can't you, just the joy that's in his life and the, and the joy that he now has in serving Jesus. In our society, we're rarely going to have to pay a cost like that, right? I mean, in our society, we're not going to get thrown in jail. We're not going to get persecuted, at least at this present time. Hopefully, it doesn't get to that place in our society one day. We don't know. We're not guaranteed that. But at this point, following Jesus is a relatively easy thing, right? But it still does require submitting to God's agenda, submitting to his plan. We talked about through our sermon series the last few weeks about God's grace. And God has been so gracious in sending his sons to the world and making salvation available to us for free. But we shouldn't think that salvation doesn't have a cost, right? Salvation, although it's free and although it's offered to us as a gift from God, it can still have costs attached to it. And that's what we've been talking about today. It had costs for Joseph and Mary. It had costs for Jesus. But we know that they, they fulfilled what God wanted to do in their lives and they made an impact on the world like no other. And God can do the same thing in us. I want you to uh, just take a minute to look at the very bottom of your sermon guide there. And there's a question there that I want you to consider, and this would be kind of your action point today. What is my next step in submitting to God's plan for my life? What is my next step? And maybe that's something you haven't thought about very much, but I think it's a great thing to think about. What, what is God calling you to do in your life right now? What decision is he, is he wanting you to make? For some of you, I, I think... I believe most of you here have you've given your life to the Lord already so you've made that decision but now it's what is the next step he's calling to you to is there some ministry that he's wanting you to do is there somebody he's wanting you to engage in relationship with is there some path that he wants you to pursue that maybe you've thought about but you've been like nah, I don't know if I could ever do that what I want to encourage you to do is to give that some thought and give it some prayer even this week and say ask God God what is my next step in submitting to your plan for my life? What is it you would have me to do? I know that's something that I've been considering a lot this week. God, what is your next step from, for my life? It's something that I've been seeking him uh, very intently for for a while and saying, God, what is the next step in, in my journey? And I hope that you do the same. Let, let's pray right now. God, we thank you so much uh, for the God encounters that you have uh, made occur in our lives. God, all of us at some time in our journey have encountered you or had the opportunity to encounter you. And we thank you that 
many of us in here have submitted to that encounter and said, God, I want to give my life to you. I want to take that next step. I want to submit to your plan and what you have for me. God, and I know... I want us to, to see that that's not just a one-time process. It's really a continue, continual process, a continual journey in our lives of saying, God, what is, what is the next step? What is the plan that you have for me? What do you want me to accomplish? What do you want to do in my life? Lord, I believe that almost every one of us here in this place would say, I want my life to have meaning. I want my life to have significance. And Lord, you offer that in a relationship with you that our life can have significance. Lord, first of all, in that we, that we have that vertical relationship with you, that we can actually know the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who created everything. But then also, God, that we can have it, make a difference in our world around us, that we can have an impact here on, on earth while we, have, while we are here. And so, Lord, I just pray, God, that every one of us will consider uh, what you want us to do in our lives. If you're here today and you, and you just say, you know what, I want to uh, just say to God right now, God, I submit my life to you. And God, I want, to, I want to follow whatever that next step is for me. If that's you, um, I would just encourage you to, to just raise your hand along with me right now. That's what I'm saying. God, I want to submit my life to you. I want to follow you. I want to know what the next step is for you. So I just encourage you, if you, that's you, I would just raise your hand right now to God as a sign to him, just saying, God, I'm serious about that. That's what I'm saying to you. Lord God, I thank you for the many people that are raising their hand right now. Lord, and I just pray that you will reveal to them what you have for them. God, age is irrelevant. Lord, I, there's probably some people here are saying, uh, my time's kind of come. I, I'm, I'm older now. What does God really have for me? That's not, that's not relevant. God can use us at any age, at any stage in our journey to do th significant things. And I just pray for every person in this place that you will uh, use them to do significant things as they submit their life to you, knowing that there may be some cost involved, but that the joy that you bring through it will far outweigh any cost. The joy in being, being, in living a life of significance, in being what you want us to be, in doing what you want us to do. So Lord, I just pray for everyone in this place right now. God, give them the ability this week to uh, continue pursuing you, to pursue you for that next step that you have in their lives. And I just pray that in every way, you will um, impact them and allow them to impact others. God, and we pray these things in your name. And everybody says, amen.